0: Brought to you by CGTN Europe. Hello and welcome to this week's Razor Podcast. I'm Emma Keeling.
1: And I'm Shimise Omara. This week on the podcast, I look at how mechanical engineers can teach us more about ancient mummies.
2: We've had the technology that allows the imaging, but then the software has moved us on as well. And so The Mummified Animals project has been a really good example of pushing the technology to its limits and then adapting that and using those workflows on other materials.
0: Away we go on mummies! Emma, have you ever wondered what mummies look like in real life? Well, I have been to Egypt and I have met a few mummies. So yes, I have often wondered what they looked like. Uh, BW, before wrapping. So where are you going and with this, Shinny?: So a team of researchers at the Materials Research Centre at
1: Swansea University in Wales have started applying a CT scanner type of technology to unwrap ancient mummies and produce three-dimensional images
0: of them without even laying a finger on them. It sounds really impressive, but I must admit, I don't quite get it. Can you tell me a bit more? Yeah, I mean, the reason
1: why it's such an incredible story is because there was so much kind of happenstance. Uh, A mechanical engineer got talking to an Egyptologist and they realized that the engineers have equipment and visualization technology that could really help the Egyptologists out. And so they started working together. And what they realized was that In trying to preserve the mummies, as in not touch them or, um, you know, interfere with the the actual artifacts in any way, they were able to get really precise three-dimensional images from the mummies that were inside these wrappings. And they were able to put those three-dimensional drawings into CAD software, Computer aided design software, and then actually 3D print them at much larger sizes, so scale them up by tw- 10 or 20 times. I spoke to Richard Johnson, a professor at the university, who explained why this technology is so impressive. We did a story on it for our recent TV episode of Razor, but we thought we'd share the whole thing with you here, so enjoy. So how does engineering connect with ancient
2: mummies? It's an interesting one. So on our, on our previous campus, the engineering building was actually right opposite our Egypt centre, which is an Egyptology museum. Um, and I just kind of recently got a new X-ray microtomography machine, which we would use in engineering to look at things like jet engine parts or composite materials, typically human-made structures. Um, But I knew someone who was in Egyptology and I'd been talking to them um, and they passed me on to uh, Dr. Carolyn Graves-Brown at the Egypt Centre. And I went for a tour. We walked through the, the kind of basement stores, all of the things that people don't normally get to see. And when I saw the animal mummy samples that were down there, we just thought, actually, that's... That's perfect for x-ray technologies, you know, to reveal something that someone hasn't seen for thousands of years.
1: How does the machine actually work?
2: So it's very, very similar to a medical x-ray scanner. Um, So if you you break a bone in your arm, you may go to hospital and have a 2D um, x-ray image. So that would be one single image taken of your arm and that might show a break but it doesn't show in three dimensions. And so a medical scanner, a CT scanner, would take lots and lots of images of that, that arm and build up a 3D picture. Um, so you get to see the bone and where that break is and, and lots more information if you need it. Our scanner is very, very similar to that, except we can do much, much higher resolution than a medical CT scanner made for humans. So the thing needs to be smaller that goes in our machine. Um, but we can see a lot more. We can see at much higher resolution the insides of whatever we're scanning.
1: So before using this machine, were you literally taking x-rays of samples like this?
2: Um, in the past, so we didn't, but but the field would. I mean, historically, they'd actually unwrap, physically unwrap mummified samples to see what's inside. And obviously, that's incredibly destructive. Um Firstly, that's, that's the first problem. It's very destructive. But also things move. You know, these are thousands of years old. They're very dry. And so once you start unwrapping those physically, then the bones or any structures or the placement of anything inside will, will actually move. Um, whereas what we're doing by non-destructively X-ray imaging, everything stays in that same same position that it was thousands of years ago. So we get to really, it is truly a snapshot into the past.
1: So what have you discovered using this technology? We,
2: initially we were just using it to see if we could. Um, so we, we chose three quite different mummified animal samples. We, we looked at a cat, a bird and um, a snake. And because we wanted to show whether the technology would work on those very different animals, um, and within each of those, we found very different um, things, very different information. Um, and it was year, much over years, actually, the analysis of the 3D data that then we were able to almost... Um, it's like investigating the inside of something. So you, you look at the outside and you think, right, OK, this, maybe this is a bird, maybe this is a cat. But once you get inside that data and once you place yourself within... The data, you actually see a lot more, and so we were able to look at things like the cause of death, um, some of the conditions that the animals were kept in prior to their death and mummification. Um, It gave insight into some of the potentially ritualistic processes that were going on at the time.
1: It's quite a big cross-pollination of two very different disciplines. Engineering meets forensic history, if you like. But what's been the rewards of combining these two very different disciplines?
2: We started off with just two disciplines, actually. And and this project worked, in 2013, we started looking at these samples for the first time in x-ray. And it's only over the years, as we've come to the limits of our knowledge as an engineer or an Egyptologist, that we realised for something like the bone analysis, then... That was outside our area of expertise and so we, we worked with a zoo archaeologist, Dr. Uh, Professor Richard Thomas at the um, University of Leicester who was able to look at those bones and actually uh, it bones digitally but we 3D printed the cat's skull and see so he was able to hold a mimic of those bones, feel the edges, feel the ridges of those fractures and he was the one who was able to tell us these fractures were around the, the time of death. So they were potentially part of um, the process of either mummification or killing the animal. And then these other fractures to the side of the skull, they were very different. They were um, sharp, straight line fractures, which are more indicative of brittle, dry bone, which would have happened at some point in the thousands of years after. So, so yeah, we wouldn't have known that. I think initially we, would think, we saw all of the damage and thought potentially that happened around the time of death. And then by bringing in an expert who looks at these things every day, they were able to really pull apart that information. And also, I, you know, we had data on a snake, but what type of snake and, and the age of the snake. And so we, we, we started working with Dr. Rhys Jones from Cardiff University, who's a herpetologist and biologist. And for him, we were able to print out the skull 10 times larger than the actual skull in the, in the, the wrappings. And so that really enabled him to nail down the the species of snake to be an Egyptian Cobra. I think we're we're at a point where micro CT exists and we can apply it to animal mummies as well as lots of other stuff. And And it's revealing insight that's been locked away for thousands of years. Whereas maybe 20, 30 years ago, it would have been different methods and it would have revealed new insight. But we're always kind of building and that can only go further. And that's another reason why it's so important to, to use a non-destructive technique because those, those artifacts exist and we're just scientists for this period of time. But there may be other scientists in 20, 30 years with new techniques and new capabilities. And so those samples should exist in their current form for them to, to investigate and, and provide even more insight.
1: Did you ever think that when you're examining jet engine technology that it would lead to this
2: not at all, actually. Um, I, at that time when I was working on engineering materials, that's pretty much what I focused on. And through through this project, it's it's shown the power of X ray technology for for me. And so I work far more outside of engineering. Now I work. I, we're scanning birds, insects, human tissue, um, human remains from the Mary Rose. We're, we're looking at lots more than just those engineering materials now Um, and it allows us to work across different disciplines which actually i find most exciting it's working in those spaces between disciplines that i think you can have the greatest impact because you can bring a technique to to a whole field that hasn't had visibility or access to that technique and you can jump the understanding or jump the knowledge forward many, many years and provide more information that you work with that scientist or researcher to interpret. Um, so yeah, it just feels those areas, those fuzzy spaces between disciplines, there's huge potential to apply techniques that we're maybe used to in engineering or other science fields.
1: Can you give me a list of what those other fuzzy areas might be?
2: Uh, yes, yeah, so there's tons in, in biology that we're working on. So one area, my my group, now focuses on is bio-inspiration, so working, it allows us to work with biologists, so species experts, so on, uh, for instance, jumping insects, um, we, we've we been imaging a plant hopper, so it was discovered many, many years ago, but it was only recently that they found that they have uh, mechanical gears between their legs, and so that's that's kind of the perfect combination of gears, engineering, that's the type of stuff engineers are supposed to be thinking about and biology where nature got there first and and evolution led to these, these mechanical gears that aid this um, insect in jumping. Uh, and so in recent years, we've x-rayed those gears. So we're the first to kind of see them in three dimensions and try and understand their shape because they don't look like human design gears at all. And so we're trying to understand if if evolution has led to a improved gear shape that could be useful for engineering. And x-ray imaging allows a 3D view of that, but also then to 3D print, to modify, to generate prototypes. So yeah, that's just kind of one area where we fuse biology and, and engineering.
1: So, Emma, what about science is exciting you this week?
0: My story is a solution inspired by nature. The octopus, to be exact, one of my favourite creatures. A crucial aspect of tissue transplantation surgery is surgical gripping and a safe transplantation of soft tissues. But handling them is problematic because they're so fragile. So current methods of transferring the sheets of tissue can take 30 to 60 minutes, requiring skilled technicians, runs the risk of tearing or wrinkling them, contamination is a big problem too. So scientists and biomolecular engineers in America and South Korea, they've collaborated on this, and their solution was inspired by the way an octopus or a squid can pick up both wet and dry objects of all shapes with these small pressure changes in their muscle-powered suction cups. Um, rather than a sort of using a sticky chemical adhesive. So scientists have designed a manipulator which is made of temperature-responsive layer of soft hydrogel attached to an electric heater, and they can pick up a thin sheet. Uh, The researchers gently heat the hydrogel to shrink it, and they press it to the sheet, and then they turn off the heat, and the hydrogel expands slightly, It creates a suction with the soft tissue or flexible electronic film, and it can be then lifted and transferred. And then they gently place the thin film on the target area, and then they turn the heater back on, and it shrinks the hydrogel and releases the sheet. And that whole process takes about 10 seconds. Amazing. Oh, that
1: is an awesome story.
0: Incredible. Good old octopus and squid. Yum, yum. I mean, well done. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, what is your exciting science story this week?
1: I found this paper and it was headlined Drug Cell, New Experimental AI Platform Matches Tumor to Best Drug Combo. And it caught my attention because I don't think many of us appreciate just how complex tumours are. And with cancer, you know, often we hear someone's got lung cancer or breast cancer or bowel cancer. And we think that maybe there's one type of chemotherapy or radiotherapy to fix those specific types of cancers. But actually, within those broad types of cancer, there are so many different combinations and mutations and variations of those specific cancers. So, you know, it's an absolute minefield when it comes to treating those cancers, but also to deciding on, you know, what actual types of tumours they are. And so the way it works is that they will they will submit the tumors to the AI software and the AI software is able to identify what type of tumor it is and then assign a course of treatments of drugs to that specific tumor.
0: I mean, that's fantastic because, you know, I've done a few cancer stories myself and, um, you know, I, I was surprised initially, you know, to find out just, you know, there's a lot of guesswork involved in trying to figure out, you know, the right treatment for people. So, you know, you might have five people that all have bowel cancer, but the treatments could be totally different. You know, everybody's bodies are different. Everybody's tumors are different, as you said. So, yeah, it's really exciting.
1: So the way it's done now is that there's something called a molecular tumor board, which basically consists of interdisciplinary groups of experts that get together to decide on each patient's tumour and the relevant drugs that need to be assigned to the tumour. And it's not usually just one drug, it's usually a combination. And so it's actually human beings pooling together their knowledge and intelligence and experience to decide a course of treatment. What this AI software is going to enable is a speeding up of that process. And, you know, they have used various AI systems in the past, but it hasn't necessarily been as accurate as this
0: particular software.
1: And that's it for another edition of Razor. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Also, if you want to see the videos from some of these stories, go to CGTN Europe and type in "Razor."
1: Until next time, see you.